So we're going to be starting a series called This Is Us, uh, Christ-Centered Family. For the next four weeks, we're really going to be talking about family, but, but a Christ-centered family and, and different aspects of family and what that really means to us as believers. Um, family life for Christians um, is, is different uh, than family life for non-religious families in, in many ways and, and families of other faiths uh, because of the, the lens and the perspective that we put on um, exactly that and, and the different aspects of a family. When we think about it, we're not just going to be talking about just the nuclear kind of family, husband, wife, kids, uh, and all of that is like the traditional kind of version of that, which those things are great, but, but we're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about singleness. We're going to be talking about kids and, and parenting and the way that all of those things come together to create the church and the body of Christ, the, the biological pieces of that mixed together with the spiritual pieces of that forming the body of Christ and the way that that all functions for all of us. And so regardless of what season of life you're in, let me just tell you that this, this won't be a week to check out because maybe this doesn't apply to you because we are going to be talking about marriage. But let me just tell you that it does. Every aspect of what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks applies to you regardless of where you are. As we approach these things, we realize that family matters big time. Uh, family does matter, especially in the kingdom of God and the way that God looks at it. And it matters because it's built around relationships. And relationships affect everything. Our relationships affect everything. And so as we talk about these things, uh, I want to start uh, this week with looking at what marriage is. But what marriage is in terms of a Christ-centered family. And so when, I, when we say this, when I put this up and it says marriage is, how, how do you fill that in? How do you fill the blanket for that? I don't, I don't care whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a student, uh, whether you've been married for a really, really long time or anything in between. How, how do you define that? How many of here have, have, how many here have actually been in a wedding? You've been in a wedding. Maybe it's your own. You've been a part of a wedding. You've been to a wedding. Yes. For those of you that haven't, I, well, I'll talk to you afterwards if you want to exp explain to you what those things look like. But we know what... <laughs> We know what a wedding is, right? We know what the marriage ceremony is, but how do we think about it? How do we think about that word marriage and that, and that term marriage? Not just the ceremony and all of that, but what it really means and what it really means to us as, as believers when we say marriage is. It is a fundamental institution that's found in nearly all human societies uh, throughout the globe. And marriage, though, it's, it's a covenant made before God. As believers, we look at it as a covenant made before God, and, and it is fundamentally different uh, than the culture's understanding of marriage. The world's understanding of marriage is fundamentally different than the way that the Bible um, and, and what God tells us about what marriage truly is. And it's because we view things as believers through the lens of faith. And as we view things through the lens of faith, we recognize that marriage is an ordinance from creation. It, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, the intention of men and women to marry each other, as we see in the book of Genesis here. In, in this first verse, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, At last, the man exclaimed, meaning Adam, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
By the way, you can follow along with me on the Bible app um, if, if you're not already. Um, I'm just kind of getting right into it. I understand that. But um, you can look up Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, whether you're here watching online and, and follow along with these notes as we look through the scriptures of what God says marriage really is. We see this here as, as really kind of the first time that, that marriage is, is talked about. And I, lo- I love Adam's, um, you know, expression here. At last right? Such a guy response, right? <laughs> sees, sees a woman for the first time and all of that. But I want you to notice the purpose wrapped in all of this, of God's purpose of, of marriage and how it's all wrapped in these two verses. Because Adam recognizes that Eve was different because he's like, yeah, at last, right? But at the same time, um, not like him, and that's a good thing. That that's a good thing. They were one, but not the same. That was God's intent there. And Adam understood the, the oneness, the essential oneness with his relationship with Eve. And it's so important because it's referred to many times in the New Testament. And so we're going to kind of break this down a little bit today as we go through this and see some different aspects of things. You know, today's world is, uh, is very much about, uh, about ourselves. There's this <laughs> phrase that you see, or at least I've seen in, in certain places, is self-love. Self-love, babe. Self-love first. Right? That whole thing. Um, I don't find that attitude in, in Scripture anywhere. I don't find that attitude anywhere. I know that's kind of a popular thing right now, self-love and, and all that. And, you know, I got to take care of self-love first. That is literally the opposite of the Christian message. That's literally the opposite of what the Bible says and how we should live. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture, especially when it comes to marriage. And when it comes into the purpose of marriage, it's actually the opposite. The attitude is, is partially what is wrong uh, with relationships and marriages today when it's a, if it's approached from that me-centered perspective. Um, serving others, putting others first, that's really... Uh, you know, thinking of others above ourselves, that's what the Bible talks about. Look in Philippians chapter two here. We looked at this verse over the, over the course of, of COVID and all of that. We looked at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you in the interest of others and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So yeah, this verse may not be specifically talking about marriage, but it's, it's much bigger than that. It's a big picture look at exactly how we should be acting and thinking and feeling towards others. And so of course, this would then apply to marriage also. See, it's all about me, right? That's the attitude today is that it's all about me. And Marriage in today's day and age is unfortunately no different because people are looking maybe for what they're going to get out of marriage. A lot of times that's how it's looked at or, or even decided upon. What, what, what's in it for me here? And Christians, though, we have a responsibility to actually look beyond ourselves, to look beyond ourselves and, and, to, and to that person when it comes to marriage. We are called to be self-sacrificing. We are called to, to love others and, to, and, and for that self-sacrificing love to be toward our spouse. And getting into a relationship, especially as important as a marriage uh, relationship with a me-oriented attitude, that's gonna give you a terrible foundation. You're not gonna have a foundation for a long-lasting, God-honoring, joyful marriage if that's how, it's, if that's how you're approaching it. 
husbands and wives, we need to look for ways to, to love each other with self-sacrificing love that leads us to then serve each other. You may be familiar with this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. I read it at every wedding I get the privilege to be a part of, um, just about every wedding at least. Um, and you've probably heard it many times as well. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, I don't see a self-love mentality in there at all. And I see the, I see the, uh, the analogy and the, um, you know, the, the way that the, the marriage relationship is supposed to mirror the church and, and the relationship with Jesus. We're known as the bride of Christ, right? God could have chosen any other analogy and he chose the bride of Christ. Don't you think that's for a reason? Marriage is always associated with a commitment and with God, it always comes with a commitment. But for Christians, marriage is, is more than just a commitment. It's, it's a covenant where God is the witness. It's a covenant with God between man and, and a woman and and joining them to live together, to live in love and, and faithfulness and, and peace and fellowship with Christ and with the church. But, and this is where I may throw you for a second, so just stick with me. Not in the context of a soulmate. You're like, what are you talking about, Jay? Not, not in the context of a soulmate? Now, just hear me out for a second. Because when you hear the word soulmate and you see that, soulmate, you're like, that. That's actually like a Bible word, Jay. Soul, it's in there, right? Like we see that in the Bible. How is this not a thing? Listen, I'm sure we've all seen like the online dating communities and such where they're, you know, eHarmony and they're, they're advertising, find your soulmate here and all of that. And okay, but sometimes that idea of a soulmate, and this is where I just need you to stick with me for this, that can steer us toward an improper way to view marriage and thinking that marriage exists solely to make us happy. And then when we hit bumps in the road, things maybe don't go well, we might be tempted to quit because of the priorities in which things have been laid out. Marriage, we should always look at it from a realistic perspective. As Christians, we need to look at it realistically and in light of the covenant aspect. Let me read a quote from you from an author named Gary Thomas. And he says this, when it, when it comes to this idea of the soulmate. He said, we're not asking the right questions. What if your relationship isn't as much about you and your spouse as it is about you and God? And then he says this, one common misconception that Christians have about marriage is finding a soulmate. Someone who will complete us. The problem with looking at another human to complete us is that spiritually speaking, it is idolatry. It is. We are to find our fulfillment and our purpose in God. And if we expect our spouse to be God to us, he or she will fail every day. 
No person can live up to such expectations. Right? We know the quote. I think it was Jerry Maguire. You, you complete me. Right? No, you don't. No, he doesn't. No, she doesn't. Sorry. Only God completes people. Only God completes us. And that may sound rough, but, I, but think, it, think it through exactly how I'm saying it here. Only God completes people. That's what the word of God says. People fail people. I, I can do my very best as a husband and I'm gonna fail my wife at some point. It's gonna happen. People fail people and putting other people on such a high pedestal is going to ultimately lead to disappointment and bitterness and maybe even brokenness. See, marriage, marriage is not the end goal of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Marriage is not the end goal of the Christian life. Holiness and intimacy with God for his glory is the end goal for our walk with him. And there is a trickle-down effect that happens from there if we don't put things in their proper order. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is the first ordinance in the Bible. It is, it is an amazing thing. It is a gift from God. But if we put that or that person on a higher level than God, even unintentionally, it's going to screw some things up and potentially set us up for failure. Let me sidestep for a quick second. I want to talk about the three, just let me show you these for a second. Three of the top reasons for divorce. Three of the top reasons for divorce today. And here they are. The first one, sexual dissatisfaction. Lack of communication is another one. And I would actually wrap into that. Uh, financial disagreement um, is, is wrapped in that because lack of communication is a, is a big, big part. And most of the time, financial disagreement that's wrapped in that, that's actually probably at the top of the list for one of the number one reasons um, is financial disagreement. But that's not what today's about. And then unfaithfulness. And there's a trickle-down effect with these as well that can be there. Idolatry and selfishness, these things push us toward lust instead of intimacy because there is a difference. There is a big difference. Intimacy and lust are not the same thing. And I think a lot of times in our culture today, we get those things flipped and we get them mixed up. And it drives us to a selfish view of marriage and sexuality that creates entitlement, it creates maybe even boredom, restlessness, and then false expectations within our relationships. And I believe this actually transitions perfectly and directly into our culture now of just hooking up with various people with little to no relational commitment because marriage and the way that it is seen and the way that it is understood today is no more sacred than getting a loan for a car. It's what I need to do and, you know, if I need to trade it in early, then that's fine. But let's be honest. That's how we look at it, isn't it? That's how the world looks at it. And unfortunately, we as the church haven't done much better. We've swept it to the side as well. We've allowed ourselves to fall into things as well and not leaned into God's best for our life, even if it means making a difficult decision. Because sometimes doing the right thing is tough to do or at least it feels tough to us. But marriage is so much more 
than sex. It's so much more than that, absolutely. But you know what? Sex is part of the gift of marriage to us. It's a gift to us that is a big part of it in that it is a perfect thing to talk about today because it is the way that, that's the way that it affects our relationships and our view of how we act in those relationships. It's a perfect picture of that. So let me take this sidestep for a second and I'm gonna bring it back around to talk about that for a minute. Because what does it say about us as believers and about people when we are willing to experience the most intimate and vulnerable act that two people can share with each other that was a gift to us from God and then say, you know what, I got what I need, I'm out. I'm leaving you because I got what I need, peace. And then what happens when we try to stop? We try to stop because and we've already been down the road. We've already been down the path that God warned us about. And our view of marriage and sex is not his best for us because, and because we already went down a road without the covenant. We already went down that path. And so now we're in a place where we're like, but I, but I really want it. But I really want it. I bet you do. Of course you do. You were designed that way. Absolutely. But there's another side to this. And the other side of it is this. Some of us, you may be to the place where you're like, you know what, I bought into the fact that, that things like pornography and, um, and, and hooking up with other people, um, you know, out, outside of marriage and all of that, all, all that stuff is harmful, great. I get that, I, I agree with that, but, um, but, but my situation's different. You're like, well... My situation is a little bit different. I'm in a committed relationship. Maybe you're in a committed relationship with someone. You, you like them. Maybe you even love them. And maybe you're living together. And you desire that experience and that sexual, in, sexual intimacy. And that's strong. And that's there. And God's command is to wait until you're married. And you look at that and go, I don't think I can do that. That's, that's, that's really a tough thing because I've already been down that road. What, what then? What do I do about that situation? What then? Well, here's what the Bible has to say about sex. Let's, let's look at that because after God creates men, man and woman, he tells them be fruitful and multiply and have sex. And he says this in this verse that we already read, but I want to read it again. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And so this is the first marriage. And there's this idea that's wrapped in here, that sex makes you one flesh, that it brings you together and at this very personal level and that you're united with this person in the covenant of marriage as God has created it to be. And this is why we ultimately want sex because we're created that way. We're created to want it that way for intimacy, for connection and, and, and all of that. So here's what happens though when we introduce sex into a relationship outside of the covenant of marriage because we're maybe not understanding God's purpose and reasons. And yes, students, I want you to hear me on this for the next couple of minutes. Hone in here, all right? But at the same time, this is for everybody. I don't care what season of life you're in, this is for everybody. I'm gonna ask my wife to come up here for a minute. And I, and I wanna give you a, an example, an, an actual like illustration so that you can see. Because in many ways, we set ourselves up for a trust fall. We set ourselves up for a trust fall. And so here's what I'm gonna have her do. Um, as, as she goes up this ladder, this is gonna be an example of what it really looks like 
in our life and in, and in this world when, when we take this thing of intimacy and we take this idea of sex and we take it to the place that it shouldn't be. So just go up on, on the first step of the ladder there. So when you first start dating someone, when you're first with someone, there's like zero commitment there, right? There's hardly any commitment. She's, she's up just on the, on the first stair right here. And, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, if we're dating, like, oh, your breath's bad. Okay, we're out. I'm done. Peace. And it's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Um, but you imagine if the relationship is like a trust fall, okay, if she falls back from this point and she falls down and I don't catch her, yeah, it's going to hurt. She might bruise her butt a little bit, but you know what? She's going to be okay um, in like a week, something like that. Maybe, maybe less. Depends. But as your, in, as, as your relationship grows in intimacy, and as she goes up the ladder even more, right? The, <laughs> I know y'all are freaking out. She's not going to fall from here, I promise. And you know why? Because I'm right here. And just hold, just hold on. Just stick with me. There's a, there's a reason for this. Because as a relationship grows in intimacy, the, the trust factor becomes a bigger deal now, doesn't it? Because she's up a few more stairs. So there's a little bit more at risk here. Now if she falls and I don't catch her, it's going to hurt quite a bit. But then you introduce sex into the relationship. Keep going. And now she's all the way at the top of the ladder. And some of you are freaking out. I'm telling you, she's going to be fine. All right. You good? Yeah. All right. So I heard your heel hit and all that. So she's moving all the way up to the top of the ladder and she's there, right? Here's, here's the problem though. So far so good because she's up there and she seems perfectly fine for sure. But we could switch spots here and it would be exactly the same. Be exactly the same kind of analogy because as you go up to the top of the ladder, meaning that you've introduced sex into the relationship when it shouldn't have been yet. And it's not there now. You're being completely exposed, right? It's completely exposed, physically and emotionally giving all of yourself to the relationship. Completely. You're up there. And when you fall, when you fall, it's a much bigger, it's a much bigger fall from up there than it is from the, from the first step, isn't it? Either person could leave at any time because there's been no commitment and there's been no covenant because it would be perfectly reasonable for me to just walk over here if there's no covenant and there's no commitment. And if she falls or if we're switched, that's the problem. That's the problem with the society and, and, and the way that we look at marriage right now. Unfortunately, this is what happens. So let me ask you, how realistic is that, is this, maybe in your life, right now, or in the past? Which is why you've been hurt, and why maybe you're potentially setting yourself up to be hurt even more moving forward. And it's not just about sex. It's not just about sex. It's, it's the whole relationship in general, and sex is the physical, biblical example and re representation of what marriage is meant to be. And so here's what you've done to yourself. And girls especially fall into this one, but guys, we do it too. You're perched up there really high on this relational ladder and you're hoping that the person is gonna be there to catch you. 
And if they walk away, you got a problem. But that's what marriage is supposed to take care of. Marriage is supposed to take care of the fact that somebody is going to be there to catch you no matter what at any time. And so what happens? We get needy. We get needy. We get jealous. Our entire life then revolves around the relationship. We get anxiety. We're always arguing. And when you fall, because you will, it breaks you. It shatters you. Because your relationship was never meant to be that high up. Not without the covenant. Not without the commitment. See, marriage is you being fully vulnerable, fully exposed, risking everything, giving yourself completely to someone who is at the bottom of the ladder, looking up and saying, I will never leave you for the rest of my life. Just like Jesus does to all of us. Come on down, babe. Thanks. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it would be helpful for you to pray a prayer something like this this week or even every day, every morning. Lord, how can I love my spouse today in a way that he or she has never been loved before? Are you confident that maybe the relationship you're in right now that, that the person is there to catch you? And if you've raised that person above the level of Jesus, you may need to reprioritize some things. So let me ask you this. In your thought life, in your casual life, in your casual relationships with the opposite sex, in your marriage relationships, are you moving towards God's idea of marriage or away from it? I don't care where you are in your season of life right now. Are you moving towards God's idea of marriage or are you moving away from it? If you're in middle school or if you're in a later season of life, we are always where we are mentally and spiritually with the Lord. We're moving one way or the other. Non-Christians, let me talk to you for a second. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're on the fence about that. Maybe you're watching online and, and you're, not, you're not sure, still struggling to believe. Listen, the world is destroying God's best for you by devaluing the real purpose of marriage and it is destroying the family because the trickle-down effect is there. It is destroying the family. His rules are not meant to limit you. They're not meant to limit you. They're meant to bring you freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom in that when it's done the right way. Christians, if you're here, you're struggling with lust, Maybe you're struggling with this. I, listen, I know in a, in, a, in a crowd this size and those watching on, uh, online, I know that there's, there's a good amount of us here that are struggling with lust in that particular way. There's no doubt in my mind. Is your life moving towards God's best for you? Or is your thought life moving you further and further and further away from it? 
If you're here and you're a believer and you are engaged in sex, you are having sex right now outside of marriage. If you're watching, listening online, you're married or you're not married, I'm sorry, and, and you are. Let, let, me, let me ask you this question. If you're not married and, and you're a believer and, and you're having sex right now, let me ask you this. Do you really believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? Do you really believe that? And if you do, then let me ask you this. In the past, have you seen God bring good things out of your obedience to him? Have you seen him bring good things out of your obedience to him? If so, then why don't you trust him now in this area and stop? I know that's the hard thing to do. That's the difficult thing to do here. I get it. And maybe you feel unforgivable. Maybe you're like, Jay, it's balls too far down the field at this point. Listen, it's not. It's never too far down the field on that one. You feel like you're unforgivable. You feel like this is one you just can't turn away from. Listen, don't give Satan a seat at your table there. Don't listen to those voices that are telling you that. Don't listen to it. Look at Colossians chapter one. I love these verses. Colossians chapter one, verse 21 and 22 says, this includes you who were once far away from God. Who is that? All of us, right? Raise your hand if that's not you. Should be no hands up. (laughs) You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you, which basically just means to make things right. That's what reconciled means. Reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, there is nothing you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. So don't listen to the lies of the enemy that are saying, no, this is one particular one you can't stir from. There are certainly consequences to our actions, absolutely. It talks in Timothy about how sexual immorality that no other sin so greatly affects the body as this one does. That is, that's a sin that's specifically called out, but it's talking about the consequences, not the fact that you can't be forgiven or redeemed through it. It's just saying there are certain kinds of consequences for this particular sin that, that, that aren't for, for certain others. But isn't it interesting that that one is called out in that way? Why? Because the marriage bed is sacred and the way that it was intended to be to bring oneness and holiness together. Listen, this is us. Christ-centered family, this is us. As believers, this is who we are in the eyes of Jesus. This is who we are in the eyes of Jesus and he wants the best for you and the best for your relationships which trickles down to your family and by extension, your church family. And so that's why he puts these things in place for us to listen to and for us to follow and to obey because it's his best for us. And it may not seem like it at the time and I know it's really difficult at times. Been there, done that. But it's not because God wants to be the fun police or to limit you or to lock you down. In fact, it's the complete opposite. So the connection point for the day is really a question. It's a question for all of us. Do you have a Christ-centered view of marriage? Do you have a Christ-centered view of marriage? A Christ-centered marriage is intended to reflect intimacy with God. That's what it should show. But if, if we just treat it like a self-love contract, 
it can actually lock you up in chains. It can lock you up in chains. And and a Christ-centered view of marriage, it points to a Christ-centered family. Regardless of whether it's the typical nuclear family or not, a Christ-centered view of marriage is going to point to a Christ-centered family. So where are you in this today? Where are you in this today? I guarantee you everyone here, regardless of your age or season of life, you found yourselves somewhere in part of this today. If you're married, what does being married mean to you as a follower of Jesus? If you're single, maybe you're hoping to be married. (laughs) Maybe you're not. What does marriage mean to you? Because it shouldn't matter one way or the other. We're going to talk more about that next week. But are you moving towards God's idea and purpose of marriage in your life? Or are you not? Because the church is considered the bride of Christ. And so that's exactly how it applies to all of us, regardless of your relationship status. God is in this relationship with us. We, the church, we are his bride and he is forever committed and faithful and loving towards us. And his love is is faithful. It is relentless. It is redemptive because it is centered on Christ. Will you bow your heads with me for a minute? I want you to really seek the Lord in this, regardless of where where you're at in your relationships. Because when we think about marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman, we, yes, we recognize that it's legal and binding and all of those things. But you know, when Jesus died for our sins, he ushered in a new covenant that's dependent on his faithfulness and not our own. And if we don't have that, if we're not a part of that new covenant with Jesus, having a relationship with him, then the trickle-down effect to everything else in our life isn't going to fall into place. So if you're not a part of the bride of Christ, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus right now. Maybe you've been struggling with lust and and, and other aspects of it. Maybe your view of marriage has been distorted. Maybe you've been living in some aspect of of this that that you really are just feeling convicted about. Can I just tell you to give that over to the Lord and don't don't let the enemy tell you that, that you've messed up so bad that you can't be redeemed from that because there's nothing further from the truth. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, he is crazy about you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he sacrificed himself to save you because you can't save yourself. He paid the price for you and for me and anyone and everyone can have a relationship with him. And that eternal life can start right now. It just begins with repenting and turning to him. If you want to know more about that, if you're watching online, you can certainly ask for prayer. You can, uh, we've got a, a link there that, that you can go and find out more. Uh, you can certainly reach out to us. We'd love to, to talk to you, call you, chat with you this week. If you're here and you need prayer, you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus, please talk to us after the service. You can go to the orange wall. You can even uh, come find me after the service. I'd love to talk and pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, for your, for your mercy and your grace. God, we thank you for your plan for marriage. And God, we thank you that we are known as the bride of Christ, as the church. 
God, you love us so much. You gave everything for us. We know that we can trust you. When we fall, we know that you're there. Father, I know that some of us here are struggling in different aspects of this right now. I know that. So God, I pray that you would move in a powerful way through all of us to a place of decision to actually put our foot down on some things that we need to. Maybe it's to renew our commitment to our, to our spouse. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, we're at a place in our life where we're doing some things that we know we shouldn't outside of marriage. God, I pray that today might be just a line in the sand that we draw so that we can move forward and move toward you in a better way, Jesus, more toward a place of holiness and intimacy with you. We thank you that you want to have a relationship with each and every one of us. So, Father, don't let any of us walk out here today without being challenged and changed in some way. We thank you so much for your word and the truth of it and for your love for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.